0: All right, well, we have a few weeks here to just kind of hang out and see what the Lord wants to speak to us. And I think I have an idea of what we're going to be doing for the next several weeks. And it's actually related to our time in Isaiah. Um, So we have a list of of values as a church, and we've been kind of talking about those in our uh, men's meeting. Actually, Dr. Flannery suggested we call our men's meeting uh, the Watchmen. I, I think we might just re- rebrand. I like that. It was, out of, it was out of Isaiah. He sent me an email this morning. I'm going I'm to take it and run with it. The Watchmen. No longer men's meeting. I mean, men's meeting was boring anyway, right? It's just sort of kind of humdrum. Now, there's going to be a gathering of the Watchmen the first Saturday of every month. I am, I am for it. Um... What are we talking about? What was I? I just that derailed. Mind. The values. Yeah, so we talked about those uh, at a men's meeting a couple months ago. By the way, before we move on from men's meeting uh, from the watchman, uh, we will have a combined men's breakfast out at the camp this, uh, this coming week. I think I may have sent that out on email. But, yeah, we're going to be gathering with the rest of our uh, sister churches Uh, We haven't done that in quite a while. We used to all meet together for our men's uh, meeting. Um, So we're going to be doing that this uh, one week from today. Um, So the values, and there's a list of seven or eight of them. I always forget how many exactly, Um, but there's a grouping of three values, and they are servanthood, humility, or brokenness, and Christ in you. And there's sort of a a trio of values that are all sort of around the same uh, the same idea. And I start you know I've had we've had several conversations in home group around these values. And so I think what we're going to do is just talk through each of those uh, in the coming weeks. And you know we when we were going through Isaiah, I I may have mentioned or I may have not, but I'm sure I mentioned it at least in passing. Uh, a number of times, that Isaiah really is a book about servanthood, right? The whole last half of the book is about the servant, explicitly named, uh, and it's pointing to Jesus, right? It's the suffering servant. And uh, then in the, in the last third of the book, the people of God are, are increasingly referred to as the servants of God, the servants of God. And so I started thinking about, oh, yeah, servanthood's all through Isaiah, but then also brokenness and humility is all through Isaiah, right? And also Christ in you is also all through Isaiah. I mean, that's the great hope of salvation in Isaiah, that God's own arm will come and bring him salvation, that it's going to be God with his people and in and amongst his people that eventually leads to the fulfillment of, of the covenant and the promises of God and his glory reaching to the ends of the earth, right? Colossians says that Christ in you is the hope of glory, right? And you could just, you could say that about the book of Isaiah, that the book of Isaiah is about Christ in his people being the only hope of glory. So we're going to talk through those. And and I, I think it's a, it's a good way to kind of slowly transition out of Isaiah, Uh, and kind of seal up some of the things that God has been speaking to us throughout our time in Isaiah. So tonight we're going to talk about servanthood. Uh, Servanthood. And again, in Isaiah, this theme is so prevalent, not just with the suffering servant songs that uh, Matt Henderson taught on several weeks ago, but really the whole shape of the book, right? Isaiah's calling is really a calling of a servant, right? Right. He presents five chapters of problems with Jerusalem and Judah and kind of setting the scene for what the state of things is. The Children have rebelled against the master and the, um, the Lord is trying to uh, work uh, humility into his people and try and teach them who they were really meant to be. And he says, what are we going to do about all this? And, and he, he calls one man. He calls Isaiah and entrusts him with a message. And God does this so often. He calls one person and sends them to try and redeem the rest. So Isaiah has this very famous, very significant uh, encounter with the Holy God, the Holy One of Israel, in chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he's undone. He says, woe is me. I see his holiness. Woe is me. And then what happens? God, he says, "I'm I'm a man of unclean lips. God cleanses him but then entrusts him with a message. He says, who will go for us? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. That's the posture of a servant. Something needs to be done. You need something done, Lord. Here I am, send me. And so he was entrusted as a servant and he went and he served Israel. But this was to be a pattern to all of Israel because this is what Israel's calling was to be in the first place. To be brought into the very presence of God, to be cleansed by his holiness, to be made like him in holiness, and to be sent out into the world to redeem the ends of the earth, to show forth the glory of God to all nations. Right? That was Israel's calling. And so God says, Isaiah, I need you to, to exemplify Israel's calling for me, and it's that of a servant. And so that makes sense with the later chapters in Isaiah, where Israel as a servant, their, their role as a servant is so clearly uh, spelled out. A servant to the nations, a servant uh, filled with the purposes of God, and poured out for the nations. So, with that in mind, let's go to Luke, Luke twenty-two, and this sets the context for uh, the great chapter on servanthood. I think the greatest chapter on servanthood. Um, Uh, John 13, which is where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. So we're going to talk through that. We're also going to talk about Philippians 2, which is really, um, it's really John 13 restated with a a more eternal, uh, eternal perspective. So Luke 22, verse 24. This is, by the way, during... Uh, the Passover meal that Jesus was sharing with his disciples when he instituted communion, the Lord's Supper, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Now just... The backdrop of Isaiah brings so much meaning to passages like this. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. This is the city of man. This is how the city of man runs. You remember when we talked about the city of man? All the the Gentile kings, God was confronting each one of them and saying, you think that power belongs to you? No. I... I pull the strings. I'm orchestrating things behind the scenes. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. This is very much the message of Isaiah. For who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as one who serves. How is it that we regard the greatest, the strongest, the the prettiest, the handsomest, the mightiest, the richest? How is it that we regard those kinds of people as the greatest? And yet the creator of all the universe, when he became a man, the way he chose to live his life was in a a manner of, of service. Who is, the one, who is the greater one? The one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? That's who we regard as the greatest. Who's the greatest? Well, the people who have the largest staff. The people who employ the most people. Right? Jeff Bezos or uh, Tim Cook or, or whatever, you know, other fortune... Five, they must be... They, they're the real movers and shakers. But I am among you as one who serves. So that's the context. They're, they're having this supper with Jesus, and they still don't get it, right? The disciples are still in the dark, and they wouldn't understand until Jesus died and rose again, and their minds were, uh, and he poured out the Spirit, and they finally understood, oh, that's what, that's what it's always been about. All right, so go over to John 13. So the, the problem with the disciples here is The same problem, in a way, that Israel had in the book of Isaiah. They don't understand the way things work. They don't understand the way things work. They think that God's choice of them meant that they were something special. When, in fact, God's choice of them meant that they were called to go and serve the nations. To pour out their life for the nations. That's why Isaiah says things like, they seek me daily and delight to know my way as if they were a nation that did righteousness. The disciples loved to be with Jesus, but still really didn't understand what the kingdom of God was like. It's not like the king, a kingdom of the Gentiles. It's totally different. So, John 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of, the world to, out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I always like to point out that it doesn't mean that he just loved them till he died. It meant that he loved them. He, he fulfilled love for them. He loved them to fullness. He completed, he completed the call of love. He completed the service of love in their life. He didn't just kind of like hang on to the bitter end. No, he loved that he got... The Father had a way that he wanted Jesus to love his disciples and Jesus fulfilled that completely. All right, so he loved them to the end goal. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things in his hands, so there's an acknowledgement of authority, there's an acknowledgement of wealth, right? Of entitlement, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. It's my identity. I know who I am, I know that everything that God has belongs to me. I know that I am chosen. He rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Okay, this is the fundamental difference between Jesus and the kings of the Gentiles. Kings of the Gentiles know that everything in this, I, I, I have all authority, I have all uh, resource. And so what is Luke says, that the people that serve them are called benefactors. People under their lordship are or the people that exercise authority are called benefactors. I get something out of my position. I get something out of it from you. And Jesus, he knows his position, knows who he is, knows what he possesses, doesn't look for anything from anybody, but rather serves. Laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now. Right? You don't get it now. Because you guys are arguing who's over, you're still arguing over who's going to be regarded as the greatest. Guys, spoiler alert, I'm the greatest. (laughs) But that doesn't even matter. Right? Afterwards, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Now, what's Peter's, why is Peter reacting like this? It's because this is the same Peter that when Jesus began to, it's the same Peter that said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are this promised one that that we've been looking for. And Jesus said, yes, you're right. And also, Peter, I'm going to suffer and die. And he goes, no, 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 that's, that's, Not right. And he says, Wrong, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Right? You shall never wash my feet. No, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. You don't wash your disciples' feet. Jesus answered him, Hey, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. He didn't understand that Peter. You got to understand this. Unless I do this, unless unless I lay aside my glory, if I just appeared before you in my complete holiness, you would evaporate. Peter, you don't understand. If 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 I was really if I really just took all of my authority and used it in the way that I could, everybody would just evaporate. Everything that was tinged with even a little bit of sinfulness would just Peter, you better, you better let me wash you. I don't think you understand what's at stake here. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You're, you're not like me, not yet, but you will be. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He swings to the other extreme. Oh, Peter. Jesus said to them, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet, put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And we're gonna look at Philippians 2 and see how this is all just an enactment of the grand purpose of God in sending Jesus. He said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? They still really don't yet. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, Lord is master, which is the other, it's the counterpart of servant, right? I am your Lord. I'm your master, and I have washed your feet. So, what are we talking about here, guys? And if you call me teacher, and I have done this, right? This is. This is what I'm doing as master and what I'm doing as teacher. What does that mean for you? You ought to wash one another's feet. If this is how I am, it's how you should be. (laughs) I have given you an example. That you should do just as I have done to you. Right? With your power, with your privilege, with your authority, with your wealth, you serve. That's what I do with my authority, my power, my wealth. I use all of that and I lay it aside to serve. A servant is not greater than his master. Listen, he's talking to people who are arguing about who's going to be regarded as the greatest. He says, okay, no, let's get things. I'm the greatest and I serve. So do the math, complete the syllogism. <laughs> right? A servant's not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Right? A servant is, here I am, send me. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So he says, who's going to be the greatest? Well, no one's going to be greater than me, and I took the lowest spot. So let's start down there, and now let's continue the conversation about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to wash the most feet, Who's going to serve the most? Who's going to lay aside the most? That's what we're actually called to to do and to be. Philippians 2. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. These rivalry and and conceit are what cause the arguments about who's going to be regarded as the greatest. And maybe you sit there and maybe you say, well, I've never argued about anyone with anyone about who's going to be regarded as greatest. But you have. You have. You've had a little conversation in your heart about where you sit in relation to someone else. In whatever, in whatever value system your mind contrives, whether it's looks or smarts or wittiness or uh, godliness or pages read per day in the Bible or anything like that. Rivalry or conceit, which means which means positioning, which means having my view of myself informed by my evaluation of the people around me. All right. Conceit is, okay. Well, I think I'm I think, I'm, I think I'm good to go. I see them and they're respected and so I'm kind of like that and com- comparing. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is the mind that Peter did not have when he said... This will not be to Jesus when he explained his need to go and die. So no, far be it from you. He began to rebuke Jesus. And he says, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Have this mind amongst among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, and here we are again with the, the status, the position. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Didn't feel the need to constantly reassure himself that, yes, he was in fact God. Okay, my position is secure. My status is secure. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Which, by the way, to be human is to be a servant. He took the form of a servant in that he he took on flesh. He took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. You see that? So to be human is to be a servant. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The second member of the Trinity, the Son, the Eternal Son, the Word, who was with God in the beginning, through whom all things were made, for whom all things exist, Took on flesh, laid aside, as John would put it, laid aside his outer garments and tied a towel around his waist, left heaven, left the praises of all of the heavenly hosts. So the movement in John, when he when he serves his disciples by washing their feet, begins with the knowledge of his identity. Right. And it always begins there. And so so does Philippians, too. I know who I am. And so I know that I can do this. I can I can empty myself because I know who I am. I don't have to cling to anything. I don't have to defend any of this. Did not consider it equality to be equal or, or did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be used to his own advantage. A thing to have to be continually fortified. Right? He was not like constantly checking his account balance. Am I still in the form of God? Yes? Okay, I am. Good. I can sleep better tonight. That was a given. Right? John says the same thing about knowing that all things had been given to him and that he had come from God and was going back to God. That's the identity that's required prior to servanthood. Okay, you can't set off to serve like this and and empty yourself if you're not really sure that the Father has given all things into your hand. That, That he is trustworthy and that everything that you pour out, he's got it. You're giving it really to him. You're entrusting yourself to God. Knowledge of identity and security, you could say. Security is a good word. I think a lot of us feel insecure at times. Insecure in our identity as as a child of God. But you'll never serve if you're not secure in your identity. And so then with the security, then the empty, the laying aside, the laying aside of privilege, the descending, the seeing need and, and serving in the lowest way. Then putting the garments back on and resuming the place. This is the shape of Jesus' ministry to us. He left heaven, came down, went into the ground, and then, re- and then resumed his place. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. So it's not just, a, it's not just an example of servanthood. Um, it's, a, it's a microcosm of the entire project of, of salvation, <laughs> of God entering into the earth, of becoming a man, the whole shape of it. All right. And so that's what Paul's pointing out here in Philippians 2. It's what Jesus did in that little, in that little word picture, in that little uh, object lesson with his disciples. But it's an eternal truth. It is the purpose of God. And so he says back in John 13. I forgot to read this. Um, in uh, verse 31 after Judas had gone out it says Jesus said now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him if God is glorified in him God will also glorify him in himself now is the son of man glorified At at the moment where I am pouring out my life I'm washing my disciples feet I'm about to get up on the cross and die this is the glorification this is now is the son of man glorified Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Love one another is not a new commandment. What's the new commandment? As I have loved you. This is what it looks like. You no longer get to, to, to define for yourself what it means to love someone. First John 3.16 says, in this we know love. By this we know love. Here's the definition of love. That he loved us and gave himself up for us probably go over and read that. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And this is talking about very practical love. Verse 17 says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need yet closes his heart against him how does God's love abide in him? How do they know the first thing about who God is? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Praise the Lord that he loved us in deed and in truth, not just in word and talk. That's really why Jesus had to be be a man, had to come down so that God could say, No, I don't just love you from up here in heaven. I love you indeed and in truth. Look at my son. He has flesh and bones. So servanthood, and we haven't really talked about sort of what servanthood looks like. Uh, but but really what it looks like is meeting needs. Awareness and sensitivity to need and, and meeting those needs. That's basically it. You know, it, it's not very glamorous, right? A life of service is usually un, you know, unseen, right? Your server at a restaurant is just kind of there to give you your food and you don't see everything they do, but they're serving you the whole time. But they're not really the highlight. The highlight is you receiving your food, you having a good time with the people you're with. They're there to make that happen, in a, in as, with as, least, as little intrusion as possible. Right? That's what servanthood is. Right? To meet the needs of others in a way that's the least intrusive, the most helpful way. A servant is also someone that just does what they're told. Just They, they do what they're told. If, if you have a master, if you're a servant of a master, and we, we're kind of... Uh, we have a, a um, we're kind of illiterate in service in America because one of the great, you know, we, we, we pride ourselves on the fact that we're, we're nobody's servant. Right? Nobody is another person's servant here. Right? We are all masters. Um, so we really don't know what it's like to, to actually serve, to have a Lord, to have a master. But we have to. We have to understand that it's about obedience. It's about hearing and doing. That's what a servant does. A servant is someone under authority. And if the master says, do this, you do it. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it. It doesn't have to fit into your idea of what should be done at that moment. If the master says, do it, you do it. That's why Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, right? If you see a need and close your heart off against that, you don't really know the love of Jesus. So God in Jesus is serving, laying down his life for us. Like we just celebrated that. He has laid down his life for us. But it's so that we can see what he has created us to be. And if we're to be restored into the kind of new creatures that he's enabled us to be, we're going to be restored to our status of servants. Servants. And so that's the high calling of the kingdom of God. We set our sights not on whatever worldly picture we have of greatness. we set our sights on service. I mean in the end, in eternity, we're, we're around the throne of God, we are worshiping Him. We're, we are just serving him. Right? We're just serving Jesus serving Jesus in eternity. Now that looks it's a lot less boring than it sounds, right It's full of amazing incredible things true worship right it's full of of life so there's several things in here that we may need to to let the holy spirit speak to us Um, one is that we we can't shrink back from jesus when he says no i need to wash your feet And we can't think that beneath Jesus, because we're still messed up in our minds if we think that. We don't yet understand the way that we need to understand. We're still like Peter says, No, you don't wash me. No, that's that's beneath you. And that sentiment might be somewhat respectable, right? Of course we don't want to see Jesus washing our feet. We don't want to see royalty serving. But it also reveals a misunderstanding of true royalty. Of true greatness, of true glory. If we still recoil at that thought, then we're never going to be able to to find the glory in service ourselves. Right? If we can't imagine Jesus washing our feet, then at some point we're not going to be able to imagine ourselves loving this person, doing this thing for that person, We're going to think it beneath us or outside of our responsibility or something. But even before that, we need to recognize that when Jesus does wash us, we're completely clean, that we have part in him, that we have been joined with him, that we have become his servant, that we are serving with the master. That we can be like him. That just as Jesus said, I have come from God and I'm going back to God, that can be the summary of our lives. Hey, I can do anything that I'm called to do. I can do any deed, I can perform any act of service, because I know that I've just come from God and this is why I'm here. And I'm going back to God. This this little blip of a lifetime isn't for me to get as much enjoyment or fulfillment as I can out of life. It's for me to serve because my master came not to be served, but to serve. So I come not to be served, but to serve, to give my life. So knowing that our identity is secure in heaven with Jesus at the right hand of the Father, that we don't have to Um, we don't have to constantly be trying to prove that, yes, we are children, or yes, I am, I am loved by God. I, I just need to, I promise I'm loved by God. You don't have to prove that to anybody. You don't have to prove it to yourself. That's a fact. And you don't have to consider that fact something to be grasped. It's true, and you gotta just rest in that. And that's the only way Jesus was able to get down and serve his disciples. One of whom was Judas, by the way. And you don't think Jesus maybe thought that, that, well, him too? (laughs) No, you've come from the Father. You're going back to the Father. Do this thing. Love them to fulfillment. Love them to the end. They need to see. If it's not Judas, he's... He's beyond help, but the the disciples need to see you love Judas. You love them to the end. Another consideration is that if, if your eyes aren't continually opened more and more to the needs around you, you're probably not growing in the knowledge of Jesus. You're probably not getting closer to him. Right? Because the, the closer you get to him, the more you see how he has served you and how he has left you an example so that you can go and love others. The more you know him, the more you know him as servant. And so the more you want to be like him, and so the more you serve. Right? If I, your Lord and your teacher, are you a disciple of Jesus? What does he teach you how to serve? God wants to make us into the kind of people. And this is what he's been doing all along. This is the whole, this is what's behind everything that he said to the Israelites through Isaiah. God wants to make you, Israel, into the kind of nation that shows who God is to the nations. God wants to make, he wanted to make Israel into the kind of nation that would love to the very end. God wants to make us into the kind of people into the kind of community that loves our own to fulfillment. But we have to let him love us first. And that's really how we become servants. And then afterwards, we understand. Once we finally let Jesus in and penetrate and undo our, mis- our, our, our twisted mindset about greatness, about identity, about security... And we let him rearrange all of that. Then we finally see, oh, yeah, my identity is as a servant. It's not something I just kind of do for some extra brownie points here and there. This is who I am. This is who Jesus did. He was among us as one who serves. And so I need to be among us as, a one, as one who serves. That's what God is, is making us into. So servanthood, that's kind of a broad... We may come back and talk a little more about just what a life of servanthood looks like. Uh, but we're also going to talk about humility and brokenness. Um, and that's really about the process that we undergo. It's about that undoing process, that untangling, confronting our worldly mindset, our worldly perception of greatness and identity. Right? God sometimes have to, has to work and, and, and move in in. Unique ways to undo those things. And that's the process of breaking us. And, uh, you know, there's some great Old Testament examples of, of brokenness that we'll look at. So, servanthood, brokenness, Christ in you. Christ in you, really, I mean, we've got to keep our minds set on that. Because ultimately, what's going on? We're, we can't do this, Right? It's, it's the life of Jesus. It's our Lord and Master living out that life in and through us. That's, that's what we can um, set our hope on. But that's where we're headed. We'll, we'll look at servanthood. We'll probably look at uh, servanthood a little more next week. And then we'll talk about brokenness, humility, and uh, we'll finish up with Christ in you. Um, is this good? Amen. I think this is where we need to be. I think it's, it's um, you know, I felt weird moving on from Isaiah. It's like, wait, there's, there's a lot that I think we need to absorb here. So we're still kind of in Isaiah, but we're talking about these values. But Isaiah is sort of the backdrop for all of it. You can see how servanthood, how this, this idea of, I mean, what the Lord did to Isaiah is, is a, an awful lot like what Jesus did to his disciples. Right? Hey, no, I'm a man of unclean lips. Well, let me cleanse you and now go and bring this message to the nation. This is what Jesus did to his side. He cleansed them. Now you go, you do this for one another, and you let the world see it. And people will know that you're my disciples. It's a very similar process. The calling of a servant and the sending. Calling, the cleansing, and the sending of a servant. Amen. So let's get let's get these ideas in our heart, and let God use them to work on us in these days, and, and really clarify. And ask the Holy Spirit to to make it personal for you. You know where where are the points of conviction coming for you in all of this? Do you need to Do you need to rest in your identity a little more? Um, to free you up to be able to see need and not be worrying about your status and how does God see me? Does He really love me? But Getting past that fact so that you can actually see needs around you and lay your life down. Knowing that, well, of course he loves you. And of course you've come from him and you're going to come back. You're going to go back to him. And he's given everything you need into your hands, right? Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's just uh, ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to our hearts. Lord Jesus, we are humbled that you uh, took on flesh and you dwelt among us. You took on the form of a servant, being born in human likeness. And Lord, we are a little bit uh, uncomfortable with the idea of you washing our feet. But Lord, I thank you that uh, you have revealed to us, and, and in the same way that you revealed that your disciples understood later, Lord, we understand that unless you, unless you had taken on the form of a servant, we would have been left with no hope. We would have been without a Savior in the world. Uh, but you did, and you entered into our mess, and you, you served us, and you gave us an example. And so we just want to receive that, Lord. We want that, that image, uh, this word, to, to really penetrate our hearts. Lord, where are our, um, our criteria of greatness is really opposed to the ways of the kingdom, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit and undo those thoughts. Lord, where we've been trying to, um, trying to uh, draw near to you, but we really don't understand what it is you're calling us to in laying down our lives. Uh, Lord, Just make, I pray that you would take blinders off of our eyes that uh, we really would see clearly Lord, we want to be a community of people that, uh, among whom these little arguments about who's to be regarded as the greatest, never even arise in, in our hearts or in our minds, Lord, in the little ways that we do. Lord, we want to be a community that really does exist to serve one another and to serve this city, Lord, we can't do that. We, can't just, we cannot do that in, in our own way of thinking. We don't know how to do that. But you are our Lord and our teacher, and you show us. And I pray that in these, in these few weeks, Lord, you would be teaching us and directing us deeper into this life of, of servanthood that you've called us to. Lord, make us honest with ourselves. Give us good... Times of conversation and, and times in the word where uh, you can really reveal these things more deeply and clearly to us. And I pray that you would prepare us, Lord, uh, to be. Uh, prepare us, Lord, for the work that you've called us to do. Lord, we know that you have a high calling on this church to, uh, to share the gospel, to, to disciple new believers, to bring many into your family. Uh, but, Lord, we cannot do it if we're not servants if we don't know uh, that aspect of you, if we don't know our identity as servants of our master. So, Lord, do a deep work in us, do a deep work in this church in these days. We open our hearts to it and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody have anything to, to ask or share or throw out there?